In a recent post on my blog, I wrote an article on the question, is the Bible really from God? And in that post, I presented four lines of evidence. But you know, in our post-Christian culture today, it seems that everybody is their own authority. So the question that we're going to answer today on this podcast episode is, is the Bible really reliable? Let's get real on that question, shall we? Is the Bible really reliable? And thank you for listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. We're going to be talking about the authenticity of the Bible from the perspective of whether or not the Bible is really reliable. And in my opening, I mentioned the blog post that I had shared, probably my most second to last post that I did. I wrote one yesterday on the image of God, no respecter of movements. You can read that also on the podcast. I'll probably be sharing more on that one a little bit later. But in, in the blog that I wrote on the question, is the Bible really from God, I presented four lines of evidence, and I just want to list those for you. You can go and read those. Those points are really, really short. Evidence line number one was the fact that what does the Bible claim for itself? And of course, we talked about the internal consistency. Secondly, the second line of evidence, was what was Jesus' view of the Bible? You know, if Jesus believed the Old Testament, you get the New Testament, and Jesus in the New Testament, and you get the Old Testament along with it if you believed it. And then the third line of evidence is the Bible's unity as far as different writers talking about, and I mentioned, I think, internal consistencies with reference to that as far as the writers referencing, and you have 40 different writers, three different languages, three different continents. And then number four was the human author's self-perception and their sacrifice, where, you know, you look at the authors of the Bible, and you see that those writers were apostles. Some of them were apostles. Many of them were apostles. And the Apostle Paul was one. He wrote 31% of the New Testament. And, you know, they died martyrs' deaths. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them died martyrs' deaths or were living martyrs, as a point with John, who was boiled in oil and exiled to the um, island of Patmos. But what I want to deal with today is the question of reliability. You know, when you talk about somebody's witness being reliable, you want to make sure that it's internally consistent. You want to make sure that it's cohesive to the facts. Truth itself is corresponding to reality. And, of course, when you have a series of facts that are corresponding to reality. You have to have a cohesive argument. So what I want to do today is I want to present to you basically some cohesive facts that I believe really show that the Bible is really reliable. You know, many times Christians will be asked, how do you know the Bible is true? And the response is usually what is known as circular logic. And that's one of the things where they go and they say, you know, well, I know the Bible is true because it says it's true. Well, that doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove anything at all. In fact, it just basically shows how really uneducated we are. You know, Muslims argue in the same way. I know the Quran is true because it says it's true. It came from Allah. And I know Allah, you know, no, it's not the way that it works. You know, you can't go and argue in a circle. 
So this is nothing more than committing circular reasoning. So the question then is, how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God that was written to us? How did the Bible come about to what we know it as today? Well, first and foremost, the question of reliability is challenged in the halls of the academy today. When I say the academy, I'm talking about the colleges, and I'm talking about the universities, and I'm talking about the intellectual halls of the academy. So this is because there is a lack of training in the church. You know, when things get difficult, uh, people turn inwardly uh, when, they, when the Bible is challenged. So how can you and I be sure that it is a reliable collection of historical documents were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and that these writers record for supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies, and they claim that the writings are divine rather than human in origin. If you really want a good outline, if you're a pastor listening to this, take that statement I just made. Let me say it again. The Bible's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and they record for supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies, and they claim that the writings are divine rather than human in origin. You want to do a, a sermon on that, Pastor, you can go and use 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. I challenge you to do that and bring that to your church. But this question of reliability is a valid question. I'm happy to say that we don't need to rely on the myth of blind faith to answer that question. You know, we can apply the same tests to the biblical documents that we would apply to basically any other writing. You know, in 1952, a professor of military history named Chauncey Sanders sat down three tests which we can be, that can be used for any historical writings. He named these tests the bibliographic test, the internal test, and the external test. Let me say those again. The bibliographical test the internal test, and the external test. And since the Bible is a collection of historical documents, we can examine the Bible with these tests in the same way we would examine any other ancient document of antiquity. Do you ever think of that? That the Bible being a historical record from Genesis to, to Deuteronomy is a history of Israel from the very beginnings of creation of man and the beginning of the universe. And, and, and then you go into the histories of Israel as far as them taking the promised land. And, and then you got the prophets and the kings and the more prophets and the wisdom literature and the, the, the song of Psalm, the Psalms or the songs. You know, you, you have all of those. And that's just the Old Testament. But then you get to the New Testament, you got the Gospels, you got letters, you've got apocalyptic literature, you have all kinds of um, historical accounts that, you know, the people in the places of the Bible that are mentioned in the Bible are real, and you can go to any secular book to find out maybe who was the Tetrarch of Abilene, not Abilene, Texas, but as Abilene in Southwest Asia, okay, who was the, the governor, who was Plutarch, who was uh, Silas, who was Saul of Tarsus. You can go to Encyclopedia Britannica and you can look at these people. You can even look at Jesus Christ and you can look at him and you can see that there's more information in the Encyclopedia Britannica than Julius Caesar. So what we're doing here is we're looking at the original timeline of the documents that we, of course, we know we don't have the originals. 
but you have this thing called oral tradition where they made sure that they got the document right when they were writing copies and copies of copies that they started going and making a mistake. They pitched it and started all over again. So what we have is not the telephone book game where you go and you send 10 people on a line and you go and you tell the story to the first person the person takes and transfer the story transmit the story to the second person until you get all the way down to 10 if you were to do that you would get a corrupt message the message would not be the same message that was originally transmitted but that is not the way that the writers did it so what we have is what Chauncey Sanders says, is the internal test of Scripture, we have the external test, and we have the bibliographic test. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the question first, how well were the documents transmitted to us today? And this is what is known as the bibliographic test. Now, whenever a document is written, there is always one original. And as I just mentioned, this document, in which was from copies, this was which from copies were made. Sometimes many copies will be made. Other times there will only be a few that are made. What we want to find out is if we had the original construct of the document, of the original document from the copies, how accurate they would be. Now, clearly, 100% accuracy would be a perfect copy. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, there are very few copies of the Old Testament writings. This is because copies were lost, ceremonially buried, and th th then they were worn out, or they were destroyed if imperfections were discovered. Before 1947, the earliest Hebrew manuscript available was the Masoretic text. And in 1947, approximately 1,100 scrolls were found in the Dead Sea area. These are known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they were discovered. And the amazing thing of these scrolls is they are dated between 200 B.C. and A.D. 68. Now, they, con they also contained, and depending on the school that you go to, if you're taking an Old Testament course and you take an Isaiah, sometimes they'll tell you there is a uh, Isaiah a Deutero-Isaiah and a Trito-Isaiah, meaning three Isaiahs, but that's not necessarily the case. They actually found one complete copy of the, of the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, which is fascinating. Now, there are variations, and the, very, the variations are very few, even between two manuscripts. No variations affect the meaning of, of the documents in any way. So a variation of a text is not an error. A variation of the text, and I can explain this a little bit more when you look at the Greek language, because I, I love the New Testament Greek language. I, I read it, write it, translate it, and all, and I really have a great time doing it. I even use it in my devotional life. So when you look at the transmission of the text, and you look at two manuscripts, they are very, very, very close when it comes to the Old Testament. Now, when you talk about the New Testament, when you look at the New Testament, what we have to do is we have to look at what has been found archaeologically. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to construct a PDF, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a copy of this 
PDF. And what you're going to have, so you know what I'm, how I'm explaining it to you, so when you go and you listen to this, you can pull down the PDF, and you can go and you can look at what I'm saying with reference to the author, the date written, the earliest copy, the time span, the number of copies from the first one, and then the accuracy. What I want to say to you in this point here is the fact that if you looked at the Odyssey written by Homer, you, that was written in 80, 850 B.C. Now, we don't have an earliest copy. We don't know the time span, but we know that we have a number of copies of 643, and the accuracy of those 643 copies is about 95%. Now, you look at Herodotus, Euripides, Thucydides, and Plato. Plato's a very popular name, so let me deal with Plato. Not talking Plato, I'm talking about Plato, you know, Plato's Republic. You look at Plato's Republic, and that was written right around 380 BC, about 900 AD from the earliest copy. AD 900 is the earliest copy. Follow this now. So there's a gap of about 1300 years from the original copy to the first copy found. Okay, how many copies do we have of that? Well, Plato, they only found seven. Okay. Uh, you look at Aristotle. Aristotle wrote his in 350 B.C. The first copy was right around A.D. 1100, which is about a 1,400-year gap, and there's only five copies. You look at Caesar's writings, and you have 60 B.C., and the earliest copy was 900 A.D., about 960 years between the original and the first copy, and you only have 10 you have Tacitus, Tacitus Annals, uh, who was a Roman historian. His first cop, his first original was like right, ar- right around A.D. 100, and there was about the first copy was right around 1100 A.D., which is about a thousand years. Only a gap. Now you get the picture here. We have a time span. We have number of copies, which is very, very, very important. But then all, not only that. You don't, we don't have any accuracy save for the ones I mentioned like Plato, Aristotle, Caesar, and Tacitus. Now, when we look at the New Testament, we have a totally different can of worms. Well, not a can of worms. We have a plethora of riches, was what I should say. Because what we have here was the original first document, I believe was either Matthew or Galatians, was A.D. 45. The first earliest copy that we found was a document called P-52. It was found in an Egyptian garbage dump in Alexandria, uh, Egypt, and it was taken to three paprologists. And those paprologists said it was within 30 years of the original. So that was a fragment of John chapter 18, verses 18, verse 1, or 18, 18. I'd have to go back and look. But here's here's the kicker. A.D. 45, the first copy was A.D. 130, about a 90 to 100 year gap in between the time span. So things are starting to narrow down here. Number of copies, 14,000. And the percentage of accuracy, 99.5%. Now, what would you trust? Would you trust Homer? which is 95% accurate and only 643 copies? Would you trust Plato, which we don't know how accurate it is, 380 B.C., with a 1,300-year gap? Or would you trust a document that is within less than 90 to 100 years and over 14,000 
copies with a 99.5% accuracy. Folks, that is the New Testament. That is the New Testament. That's what you have. So if you take your Bible to church, what you have in your lap, when you open it up, when your preacher is preaching, is 99.5% accurate. What they wrote back then is what we have today, as close to as possible, with over 400,000 variants. Those aren't errors, variant text. And we can talk about that a little bit later on that. But apart from the New Testament, the only ancient writing on which any level of accuracy is associated is actually Homer. And yet the New Testament has a far higher degree of accuracy than Homer, and scholars universally accept the copies of Homer's writings as being accurate. It is undeniable, then, that the New Testament is by far the most accurate, reconstructed, ancient document in antiquity, and it passes what we call the bibliographic text with no problems whatsoever. Let's look at uh, some things here. When we think of this, you know, we're looking at the writers are, are just really, really incredible. When we think about the internal test, the internal test answers the questions, do the writers of the Bible claim that their writings are true? Okay, in any document, we are justified in discovering what the writer of that document says about it. Many of the writers of the New Testament are, were eyewitnesses of Jesus, and they saw him, they knew all about him, and in some cases, some of them were his followers, direct followers. They walked with him, talked with him, ate with him. You get the gist. And, and they said as much as well. The eyewitnesses to these things has presented an accurate report. He saw it himself and was telling the truth so that you will believe it. And from that day, first, we were taking it all in. We heard it in our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified with our own hands. And we were on the holy mountain with Jesus. We heard the voice of heaven in our very own ears, and we couldn't be more sure that we heard God's glory, his voice. Now, that was like Luke and, and Peter combined. When you look at what Luke writes in his prologue, he talks about how he wanted to make sure everything was in concise order so that he, when the man that he was writing to, a Greek named Theophilus, was have everything in precise order. And then you go and you look at Acts, he's writing the same thing, making sure everything is right in line. He's going and writing to Theophilus as well. What about the external test? Well, we're not going to get there yet because we have more on the internal test here. When we talk about the internal test, you know, you have all kinds of other things that are going on. So say, for example, um, you know, many others have tried to put their hand at putting together a story of wonderful harvest of scripture. Now, the history that took place among us using reports handed down were the original eyewitnesses who served this word with their lives, with their very lives. Some of them lost their lives. And since I have investigated, this is Luke talking, um, he says, since I have investigated all the reports in close detail, starting with the stories from the beginning, I decided to write all about it. That folks, that is the words of Luke as well when you start looking at Luke's gospel. Tell you what, let me just see if I can turn real quickly to give you an idea. We're running up on some time here, but let me just read for you what he really says so that I can hammer this home. In Luke chapter, the very first chapter, this is what he says. 
He says, Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile an account of things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the very beginning, were eyewitnesses, were servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me, having investigated everything, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things which have been taught. Now, that is Luke. Now, if I go over to go over to Acts, you're going to hear something very, very different. I believe that there's a very, it's a good idea for the commentaries today. Whenever they have Luke, they're going to include Acts. Now, here's what he says in his prologue in Acts, or the writer, and you tell me if it's Luke or not. He says, the first account I composed Theophilus. Okay, there's some common things there about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, this is Luke. This is Luke. And when you have Luke, uh, who's been deemed by the skeptic Ramsey as a historian of first rate, we cannot go wrong when it comes to that. Now let's go to the external test. When we talk about the external test, what does the outside evidence say about the Bible? You know, because the Bible is a collection of documents written within history, it contains references to history, in which can be verified by archaeology, and it is interesting that before the 20th century, many critics of the Bible discredited it. Due to the lack of evidence in certain biblical claims, yet in the 20th century, archaeology exploded and all such claims had been reversed. Archaeology has made astonishing finds which provide evidence for the claims of the Bible. And I always like to say that every time the shovel turns to dirt, a liberal theologian gets nervous. But see, archaeologically has made astonishing finds which provide evidence for claims of the Bible. Archaeology cannot prove the Bible. Let's just get that on the table here. Archaeology does not prove the Bible. But if you have something that you find and you're looking for a source and you find out that hmm, maybe it's mentioned in the Bible. Maybe, you know, we have something to, to speak about. But at the same time, every new find gives more weight to the historical accuracy of the Bible. And here's just a few examples of the historical reliability. Critics once claimed that the law of Moses could not have been written by Moses since writing was largely unknown at that time, about 1500 B.C., then the law of Hammurabi appeared, and that was 1700 B.C. So 1700 B.C. is before 1500 B.C. And this showed that writing was definitely known at that time and left no reason why Moses could not have written the law of Moses. Here's another one. For a long time, critics questioned the accuracy of Daniel chapter 5, which mentions a Babylonian king named Belshazzar. Archaeological records show that Nabonidus was king at the time and did not mention Belshazzar. Yet in 1956, three stone slabs were found, and these slabs show 
that Nabonidus went off to war to fight the Persians, and he entrusted the kingdom to his son, Belshazzar. Many critics have tried to discredit Luke as an accurate historian. So far, they have been unsuccessful. And then a notable example is Luke says that Licinius was the tetrarch of Abilene. Recently, archaeologists found two Greek inscriptions that show that Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, had been between 14 and 29 A.D. Now, when you look at all of this, <laughs> you see a plethora of riches. And in the past, people have doubted whether even Jesus existed. In fact, there's the godless engineer uh, that I ended up going and was doing a podcast with David Russell on whether or not Paul actually wrote Timothy. And we talked about that. We answered uh, uh, Mr. Gleason, John Gleason's arguments with reference to that because of just some of the nuances. But people have actually doubted Jesus's existence. We call them mythicists. You know, the fact that he was not a historical person, they, they, they say that he was basically a myth, and that this historical person was a made-up person, basically, you know, made-up character in history. In fact, early Greek and Roman Jewish sources make mention of Jesus. These include Tacitus's Annals, Suetonius, his, Suetonius's work, The Life of Claudius, The Lives of the Caesars, uh, a Roman historian named Pliny the Younger in his epistles, Lucian on the death and his book and uh, his work the, on the death of Peregrine, as well as there is a letter from a Syrian named Mar Barsepian and, and to his son. In it, he compares the deaths of Socrates, Pythagoras, and Jesus. So there you have it, folks. The Bible has no problem whatsoever when it comes to being the Word of God. It comes is no problem with the bibliographic test. It has no problem with the internal test. And it has no problem even with the external test. In fact, the Bible's bibliographic and internal tests and external tests are applied to the Bible, and the Bible actually emerges as a reliable, completely trustworthy book. And if you have a problem with trust and what you're going to trust for books, I don't think you should have a problem with the Bible as long as you do a proper approach to it, looking at the genre, looking at the historical narrative, and understanding that there are certain passages that do not apply to modern-day Christians that are actually dealing with passages that Christians like to take out of context and misuse, where they like to go and misuse them because they sound good, they sound squishy, they can get mushy on Jesus and everything. But when it's all said and done, some of those passages in the Old Testament are not for us today. So you have to really approach it using a good approach to interpretation. And folks, what is even more amazing is how many different contributors that we have to the Bible. You know, I mentioned that the, it was a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses recording for us supernatural events 
that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies, and these writers claim that the writings are divine rather than human in origin. Some 40 writers in three different languages on three different continents. Three different languages, uh, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and the, the continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. But you have a complete red line from Genesis all the way to the Revelation pointing to one event, a common thread pointing to an event of a historical crucifixion for a Savior who died for you and rose from the dead. What a wonderful story. You know, it points to a common author, God. And God shows not only how he gives the message to us, but he also takes care to ensure that we can trust that message. So I trust the Bible. I believe it is a reliable collection of historical documents that were written to us by reliable witnesses, some 40 eyewitnesses, three different languages, three different continents, that are recording for supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies. And these writers, as eyewitnesses, say that their writings were divine rather than human in origin. Why do they say they were divine? Because they were eyewitness to miracles. Old Testament, New Testament, God's intervention in human history. Folks, we serve a God who intervenes even today. He intervenes in lives. He might have intervened in your life in bringing you to faith for the first time or bringing you back to the faith, whether or not because of somebody sharing with you. I pray that you have really gleaned something from our show today. And next week, we'll talk about another subject. Maybe we'll stay on this topic about the reliability of the Bible. And what we'll do is we will tackle some of these other questions that, that are coming up as well. So keep us in prayer this week. Keep us in prayer as we uh, do our job on, a, on a Monday through Friday and that we uh, have a, another blog post I'm thinking of uh, putting up about ways that you can do apologetics. Some people will go and say, well, I don't, Rob, I can't do apologetics. Oh, yeah, you can. You don't have to really be a, uh, a road scholar. All you need to do is open your mouth and give a reason. Find something that you actually know Maybe something about the existence of God or maybe something about the reliability of the Bible. You've got all kinds of resources that you can study on our website at roblundbergapologetics.com. And what you can do is you can go there. You can go to my resource page. I've got resources. You can pull down the PowerPoints. PowerPoints are in the form of PDFs. You can pull those down. I've got PDFs that you can download. And you'll be able to go and look at those and just pick a topic, pick a subject. And what you do is study that subject. Know it well. And then what you do is you share what you know with others. Guess what you're doing then? You're giving a polemic, a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. Thank you for listening to our show today. And as you go out this week in our post-Christian culture, know full well that you're not going to be able to share the gospel very, very quickly. You have to sit down. You have to talk with somebody. You have to go and find out where the rub is, where the objection is, where are the bugs as far as coming to a full faith and trust in believing something that they can't see, but they can go and know that it's historically reliable. Folks, that's pre-evangelism. Folks, 
that's pre-evangelism, which is also apologetics. Folks, we need to do that today as we share the gospel. I can teach you how to do that. I can teach you how to listen. I can teach you how to listen to the objection to be able to be able to listen for key words in objections where you can go and find out more on how to open up the person to their presuppositions and be able to go and help them see Jesus more clearly. So as you go out this week, go out with the gospel in mind, with the gospel in, at target, in your targets, in your sights, with the gospel in your sights. But more importantly, go out and give them heaven. And Lord willing, we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.